Please, if you would, follow with me in the reading of the Word of God. You are looking at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be put to shame. For I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech is contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when absent, such persons we are also in deed when present. For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere which God apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you, for we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ, not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors, but with hope that your faith grows, we will be within our sphere enlarged even more by you. So as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you, and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another. But he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. For it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. Father, we come now asking for your guidance and your instruction. May your spirit and your people strengthen us for the task that is at hand. Father, may as we look at our brother Paul, understanding his authority, and yet, Father, understanding his pleadings with the saints in Corinth. Father, may that be us. May we understand the authority of Scripture, and Father, understand the pleadings of the Most High God to a lost and dying world. Father, may we be found faithful. May we be found walking worthy. And Father, as Christ sets the pattern before us, may with eagerness, expectation, we follow. To your glory and praise. Amen. We're looking at a section that if you just read the Bible, you would probably read through this and and pass it. You wouldn't pay attention to it. If you sit in a church that is topical preaching, you will probably never, ever hear this text. The only time that this text would ever be preached is by someone who is an expositor. And very good expositors would preach 7 through 18 in one message. I have never been able to do that, (laughs) so (laughs) don't hold your breath. And the reason is, is that as I look at this letter, I break it up into two sections. The first nine chapters, and then 10 through the end of the book. The first nine chapters is very gracious and merciful, and you see why in chapter 7 that there's reconciliation with the people in Corinth. It, what had been chaotic and, and very heartbreaking has been reconciled. 
And Paul brings that about. And then verses or chapters eight and nine, he gets back to the task of taking the offering for the saints in Jerusalem. And then in chapter 10 to the end of the book, I basically classify that it has to deal with spiritual warfare. But it is poignantly at those who started the insurrection in Corinth to start with. They basically this section that you're looking at. Paul is dealing with what authority he has. All right. And, and he, he, he's bringing it out in a way. If you read verse 7 quickly, you see there, you are looking at the things that are outwardly. And, and literally what the phrase in the Greek means, what is before your face? Okay. One of the things that has stunned me, and, it, and I have been blessed. I mean, um, uh, I believe that I have been blessed probably beyond many because I have never attended another church. That doesn't mean that I haven't visited other places when I'm on vacation or conferences. But this is the only church that I've ever been a member of. This is the only church that I've ever walked in. And, uh, you know, the, the church that I was baptized in burned down. And I don't know what that really means. <laughs> so this one hasn't burned down yet. And so I will press on. I have a, a unique view that uh, a lot of pastors do not have. Statistics says that in Colorado, the average pastor lasts five years and uh, moves on to whatever, selling insurance, I think. Anyway, uh, uh, so uh, it's, it's stuff like that that, you know, I have been here. Uh, I've done second generation weddings. So I, I've, I've got to do and see things that uh, a lot of people who don't have longevity uh, don't get ready, really able to embrace. But one of the things that I have watched is, whether it was the Apostle Paul or in my ministry, the attack comes on the character of the messenger. Okay, and what I've learned is, all they have to do is say something. Okay, they you don't have to have any evidence or any eyewitnesses or anything, you just make the assumption. Just say something. Um, you, you think I'm kidding you. I like to hug people. Okay? And what I've learned is, if you're ugly and I hug you, nobody cares. Okay? If you're cute and I hug you, what's he up to? So I try, and now everybody's going to say, well, if he hugs me, does that mean I'm ugly? <laughs> and and that's, that's not what I'm getting at. But what I'm saying is that people just freak out, and, and they, they have these things that happen. Um, I ride a motorcycle, okay? I have ridden motorcycles since I was eight, so I've been riding them for 12 years. Whoops, that could be an exaggeration, couldn't it? But, but people say, well, you don't wear a helmet. Well, in Colorado, you don't have to. All right. And they said, well, you should wear a helmet. Well, I've been riding it for 12 years. Never had a bit of problem. I have a very dear friend of mine had gotten out of the Marine Corps and was coming down to Franktown and hit a car, tore up his shoulder. It just it jacked him up bad. And uh, we rode to Washington, D.C., and uh, he says, you need to wear a helmet. And I said, uh, Jim, if you don't hit cars, you don't need a helmet. <laughs> so it's just 
just an idea. But I've had people who got mad that says, well, the pastor don't wear a helmet. Sorry. I do occasionally. When I get on the interstate, I wear a helmet. One of the things that I have watched is, is that the church, uh, the evangelical community, has a very hard time deciding whether a man is a true man of God. And Paul's telling the Corinthians here in chapter in verse 7, look right under your nose. Look at the evidence. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that when the false come in, they're always from out of town. So they can say whatever they want. And you don't know if that's true or not. That's just what they said. So what I've got here is six points that basically a true man of God is known by. Okay. You should pick this up, especially if you're traveling, if you get moved and you're looking for another church. One of the things that I know in this church, first and foremost, is we lift up the word of God. The word of God in a cursory visit, you will say, is important here. All right. But what about the leadership? What about the preacher? Well, we looked at this last week. Verse seven is his relationship to Christ. His relationship to Christ. The false were accusing Paul of being false and that he wasn't called by God. Uh, and that they were more important and they were more powerful than the Apostle Paul. And they had this higher mystical knowledge than the Apostle Paul. And why would they all listen to the Apostle Paul? And Paul says, look around you. Look at the evidence of the two years that I was with you. Okay. Do you realize there was no church in Corinth until I showed up? All right. And you're telling me that God built a church on a false preacher? Can't happen. You may have a collection of people. It will not be a church. I mean, Denver Broncos have a collection of people every Sunday. I wouldn't call it a church. If you're basing church on a gathering of people, that can be anything. It can be a traffic jam. But you don't call that a church. Paul's relationship to Christ, he says that they were confident that they were Christ. And Paul says, if you look at the evidence, the only claim that they have is that they are confident. There's no evidence of it. Paul says, if they are confident, so am I. So are we. Why? Look at the evidence of it. Okay, that's what's difficult. Right. When I listen to people and I watch people and I talk to people, whether they're church leadership or just regular saints, whatever they are, what is their relationship to Christ? What is their relationship with Christ? Then the next thing is a true man of God is known by his impact on the church. That's what we'll look at today. His impact on the church. What is he doing in the church. What has he done in the church? Simply, Paul here in verse 8 says, Even if I boast somewhat further about our authority. Okay, do you see what he's dealing with? They're questioning his authority. See, if I can attack his character, then I can attack his authority. See, Paul has it harder than me. My authority is the word of God. Paul didn't have it yet. 
He was in the process of writing it. All right. My authority only goes within the, the bounds of Scripture. Okay, and you can hold it up, whatever I say, hold it up to the scripture, test it to the truth. Paul didn't have that, but Paul had other evidence. Paul had other evidence. He says, if I'm forced to having to defend myself, if I'm forced to having to defend my authority, if I have to boast somewhat further about my authority, telling you of my authority more, Paul See, for Paul, his humility makes it hard. He didn't like to talk about it. I have had the privilege to sit down and have intimate conversations multiple times with some of this country's greatest preachers and teachers. And I'm, I'm talking about two or three of us at a table with amazing men of God. And one of the things that I've noticed about all of them, one of them in particular, there's not a place on the planet Earth in 24 hours that his sermons are not being preached every half hour. Now you think about that for a second. And yet, when I sit down and talk with him, he never says a thing about himself. It was always about what am I doing? What is our church doing? And he's, you know, heard about what we're doing in Russia and all the rest of it. And how does that work? And how will we do that? And are we being successful? And what was our prime? And he's, you never hear nothing about him. And I remember that whether it was, um, you know, Stephen Olford, uh, I've sat and had a lunch with R.C. Sproul, with John MacArthur. I had lunch with uh, Adrian Rogers, Charles Stanley. I sat with some of the greatest men of God ever, and they never say anything about themselves. That's the Apostle Paul. It ain't about him. He isn't boasting about him. I don't have to commend my authority. Look at the evidence. Look at the testimony. The unbelievers believed he was changed. The believers believed he was changed. And it was obvious with the amount of churches in the Gentile world that something was going on with this guy. Right? And that's what he's telling them. If I have to, but it was hard for the Apostle Paul because of his humble state. He didn't like to talk about it. He only said what was needed. But... If because of this debate of these false teachers, I need to defend my authority, I have more I can say. I can say more about my authority. Who sent me? Remember, he went to the Jerusalem council with Barnabas. And Barnabas testified before the Jews of the first church ever that God was working through this man who had been a hater of the church. If I have to get into more detail about my authority, I can, but I'd care not to. I have already said enough and the evidence is enough that I should not have to say more. If there is still a problem and I am forced to say more, no matter what I say, look what he says. I will not be put to shame. I will not be put to shame. If you want me to say more about my authority, I'll say more and I'll never be ashamed of it. It's, it's, it's kind of like uh, he will never have to eat his words. OK. Paul's claims to his authority were, I, I guess the only way I can describe it, were restrained by his humility. 
He was humble enough to say that, you know what? I, I want to know Christ and his crucifixion, the power of his resurrection. Okay? It was never about the Apostle Paul. But if I have to, then I will. Why? See, no matter how much more Paul says, he'll never go as an empty boast. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 18, he calls it words of vanity. And it's a really cool word in the Greek. I can't pronounce it, but it is a cool word. Okay, uh, these words of vanity are these words of arrogance, and it means blowhards. Okay, there's guys out there who are speaking with hot air. Okay, but I just want you to think about that for a second. That's what Peter says. I'll never have to worry about this. I think King James translates it swelling words. Never Paul. Never Paul. If he has to say a lot more about his authority, he'll never have to be ashamed of what he says about his authority because he has an authority that will never shame his claims. Okay? Why? Who set him aside? Who commissioned him? Christ. I mean, we call it who ordained Paul? The resurrected Christ did. That kind of gives you some authority. All right? If forced to a greater defense, he won't be ashamed of that defense. But the Apostle Paul in his, his humility is not going to want to deal with that. I don't want to do that. And, and if you go back to verse 7, look at the things. Look under your nose. Look at what happened. Why? There's a greater reason. Because the Lord had given him the authority, look what it says here, which the Lord gave for the building you up. Building you up. No matter what I say, you, Corinth, are the evidence for it because you were built up. You were strengthened by what I did. That's the authority that I have. Do I have to give you a letter of recommendation? Or can you say, no, my life was strengthened by Paul's preaching. You want to know if someone is a true messenger? Ask yourself a very simple question. True messenger. The true man of God is known by the fact that he strengthens the church. It is that simple. Remember 1 Corinthians? That church was in chaos. Because of what? These new teachers. What happens when a false teacher, a false messenger comes in? No matter what he commends. He comes in, what happens to the congregation? It becomes chaotic. It becomes torn down. You will start having schisms, he talks about in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. I am of Paul. I am of Peter. I am of Christ. Ain't that what they do? If you go and see chaos in a congregation, know this. False messengers are in that church. Because Jesus said, I will build my 
church. If it's not being strengthened, then what is it? Do you ever think about that? I see chaos in churches all over the place. Now you know why. Now you know why. Do they make the church... Now listen, when, when we think of stronger, I want you to understand something. Numbers have nothing to do with stronger. You understand that? Now we all say, well, ah, amen, brother. Non, that ain't the way we live our lives. We believe that numbers is the strength. And it's not. Strength is that spiritual maturity. That when the trials and the travails of this life hits that individual and or that congregation, they stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. They believe He is faithful. They don't run here and there for everything that they can try to appease the situation. They say, no, the Lord is faithful. Right? You will only get that through a true messenger of God. Okay, listen, there are a whole bunch of people preaching this Sunday morning and they're talking about things in the Bible, but they ain't believing them. And I know they don't believe them because I've watched the way they live their lives. Okay? I understand it completely. I can just look at them. No, you live like the world. You may tell really cool stories. That's some of the best illustrations I've ever heard in my life. But you know what? It doesn't do a thing. For me to strengthen you, for Paul to strengthen the Corinthians, there's only one way. Sanctify them with truth. Your word is truth. If you're getting anything but the word, what do you got? What do you got? I know people who talk about the Bible. I know people who will talk about books about the Bible. But they don't talk about the Bible. Show yourself a worker approved. What? Rightly dividing truth. All right? If we would work half the time on the truth as much as we do with programs, how strong would the church be? How strong would the church be? A true messenger of God will make the church spiritually strong. A true messenger of God will make the church sound. A true messenger of God will make the church solid. A true messenger of God will bring the saints to maturity by the exposition of the word of God. That's the true message. That is a true man of God, and that is how you will know him. Do Listen, I used to think early in my ministry that doctrine divides. Okay? But you know what I learned? It unites. It unites. And it goes across denominations. If the persons involved are willing to look at sound doctrine. And you have to move out of it, certain things. Because I, there's people who will get into their denominational, here's the deal. Okay, and they're not going to move out of that. Well, you know what? Stay there then. All right? I don't do that. I know Presbyterians. I have friends that are in IFCA. 
I have friends in, I even have one or two Baptist friends. <laughs> they tend to be out of state, but I still have them. <laughs> okay. Um, and, you know, but, but we're willing to sit down and look at the word together. We study together. Uh, there's a group that gets together and prays here in Castle Rock. And uh, <laughs> big dummy me. Two weeks ago, I felt was feeling brave. We had gotten done praying. And there's some guys in this group who's got some serious gray matter. And so I said, uh, you know, we've been praying together. I've, I've been a part of this group for 12 years. And uh, I said... Uh, I was wondering, because I'd asked them a couple, about a month ago, what were you preaching? So they all told me what they were preaching. And so I said, uh, you know, a lot of these guys are educated. One guy used to be, uh, well, two of them used to be uh, seminary professors uh, and, and stuff like that. I mean, these guys got some serious brain power. I said, what do you think about um, getting together one morning and having a Bible study? <laughs> you'd have thought I mooned them or something. I'd never seen anything like it. They're like, what? And I said, well, we'll make it easy. We'll, we'll do a book. Okay? I, I mean, just, you know, a, a book. Uh, you know, we don't. I don't need to get into infant baptism or some of the things that, you know, tongues and all the rest of that. Let's just do a book. And we'll start off with, let's do an easy book, maybe like, Philemon. There ain't no way. There's no way we can do that. Why not? Well, what's the Bible? I said, you know what? I'm, I'm not the smartest guy in this room. But I do not believe in multiple interpretations of Scripture. God doesn't write a moving target. All right? There's multiple applications. But then it was obvious that if I'm going to have a Bible study, I will be the lone cricket in the room. Okay, and that's, that's amazing to me. It's the Bible. It's the Bible. And there's some guys in there that are really smart. It'd be great to sit down with them. But I'll probably have to do that in glory. Do they unify? And you've got to unify not with less doctrine. You unify and are strengthened by more doctrine. I should have known one of the larger church pastors here in town said, well, doctrine is so boring. So what is it you do for a living? Okay. And yet, I, you know, you know, doctrine's just boring. Okay, whatever. I, I, what do you say? Have you ever thought maybe taking up plumbing? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Try, try something different. Paul tells the, the Corinthians, if they need more than the evidence that is before them, um, he says, you know, as a messenger of Christ, I have to ask this question. Did God use me to build the Corinthian church? Is the church, was the church unified and growing and strong when I left? Yes. 
When these guys came in, what happened to the church? Go read first six chapters of 1 Corinthians. That's a disaster. Absolute disaster. The true man of God builds lives. He strengthens lives. He builds the church. He, Paul preached with power. Multitudes had come to be saved in Christ. Churches were all over the Gentile world because of the Apostle Paul. The evidence is right there. Pastors and elders were trained. Deacons were trained. The gospel was extended by the saints being sanctified. Saints who are sanctified and are growing in their sanctification will reach lost people. Okay? Not before. I Have you ever run into the, the Christian that's got the wrinkled up forehead? That's out getting people saved now. And you pray that whatever they've got isn't contagious. I, I remember, well, I'm supposed to evangelize. Yeah. Okay, I remember a guy said, well, I, I, I think we should preach the gospel through ballet. I hate ballet. I'd have never gotten saved. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? You come up with this and you sit there and you scratch your head and you think, what happened to the gospel? Paul was doing it. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 4.9. One of my favorite verses. You guys should all take this to heart. 4.9. The things you have learned, the things you have received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You know what that is? I can give you that in one word. Discipleship. See, you have to have things that you have learned. That's strengthening of the saints. You have received. That's the preaching of the word. You have heard and you have seen. Have you seen the changed life? People had seen the changed life. He doesn't have to inflate his claim. He doesn't have to inflate his claim. He doesn't have to have like Peter 2 says, 2 Peter 2, 18 says. He doesn't have to have swelling words, blowhards. He doesn't have to have a, a, a letter of recommendation. They can see what he's done in the body of Christ in the whole region. The Lord had given me authority for building you up, he says. That word in the Greek is the word we get edify from. They were edified by what the Apostle Paul was doing. You see it in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. He gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists. Why? To strengthen the church for the work of service. Build them up. Edify the church so that they go work. So that they go work. The exercise of a true apostle, it results in the edification of the church. When I use the word apostle there, I'm using small. It's not a definite article. It means a messenger. A messenger. It's given for the strengthening of the church, to build them up. You see it in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, verse 19. 12, 19. All this time you have been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. Actually, it is the sight of God that we've been speaking Christ to you and all for your 
upbuilding, beloved. When I look at the pastorate or true men of God, whether it's in leadership or spiritual leadership, however you want to look at it, are they strengthening the church? Are they lifting up the church? Are they taking and investing their souls into the souls of men and women so that they stand firm in the time of trial, tribulation, and travail? And you know what else? I can take that same text, if you look at it, which the Lord, the authority which the Lord gave for the building you up, and then he has this phrase, not for destroying you. Okay, you bring forth the word of God. It has two effects. It strengthens and confronts. And sometimes you have to confront before you can strengthen. Okay, remember the chaos that was in the Corinthian church in first Corinthians. Sexual immorality. Drunkenness at the Lord's table. People were looking out for themselves. The worship service was chaos. Everybody was bringing a word of wisdom. Everybody would stand up and preach. Some people were in some kind of ecstatic language. All of this was going on in the name of what? Christ, church, worship. And he says, even lost people would come in and think you're mad. All right? The culture had embraced Corinth instead of Corinth confronting the culture. And they did it because the false teachers had come in, had discredited or give just a seed of doubt. Let me give you just a seed of doubt about the Apostle Paul. And then I'll bring my stuff in and we'll all be happy. We'll be chaotic and destructive. You will not grow in your sanctification. You will not be growing your usefulness. You will become an ignoble vessel, as Paul said. But other than that, you'll have a blast. But that ain't what the church is. That's not what the true man of God does. And part of that is, remember what he said in uh, verses 3 and following. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful the destruction of fortresses. Then he defines the fortresses. What are they? Speculations. And every lofty, that's human ideas and lofty things raised up against the knowledge of God. Look at the church today in America. It's full of speculations. 88% of America is believers and 18% believe that the Bible is the Word of God. That dog don't hunt. Look at what's been lifted up. Everybody today will tell you evolution is fact. And that's a lie. There is no scientific proof for it. But they all say it. Oh yeah, that's true. Why? Because all I have to do is say it. If I say it, then it's true. That's amazing to me. They're, oh, yeah. Huh. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Paul says, in case I'm delayed, I write to you to tell you how to conduct yourself in the household of God, which is the church, the pillar and foundation of truth. So what should the church be central focused on? I can tell you. Music. Go look around. Yeah, turn the lights down low and the music up loud. 
Well, I did that in the 60s and 70s. But we never called it church. The Apostle Paul had already warned the Corinthians back in 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 3, verse 17. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. The temple of God is holy. That is what you are. And any man to destroy it, God will destroy them. And who is the temple? It ain't got nothing to do with the building. It's, it's funny, all the travels that I've had in Russia, you go to these little houses and people will donate them and they'll take all the walls that don't cause the house to fall down out and they call it a house of prayer. It's a house of prayer. The church is us. When the false come in, they bring confusion, they bring chaos, and it has absolutely one conclusion to it. Destruction. Okay, they're false men who are not true messengers will influence the church in a way that is not Christ-like. Okay? And you can spot it. If it looks like the world, then what don't it look like? Christ. Christ was an antithesis to the world. The world hated him. All the people who thought they were spiritual were confronted by him. He didn't come to make buddies. And I hear that. Well, he's my friend. Will you hang out together? Are you shooting pool together? What are you doing? Paul says, you are not your own. You've been bought and paid for with the price. You know what he's talking about there? Slave. Even the King James Bible is politically correct. Did you know that? In the King James Bible, you see a term and everybody takes it and they're just enduring to their hearts. I'm a bond servant. Okay? You know what that word in the Greek is? Slave. Okay, you know, one that everybody gets mad about. He's a slave. I'm a slave to Christ. Paul puts an epi on one of his terms that he uses. And that means I'm lower level galley slave. Which means right now I'm ballasting the bottom of the boat until a slave dies. And then they'll move me up and I can paddle. Kind of loses something, doesn't it? Well, like... Bond servant. Bond servant, I made a willful choice to this master. No, you didn't. You were bought and paid for with a price. That strengthens you. Why? How does your pride work in that? Huh? I'm ballast in the boat. And I'm proud of it. Okay? Do you see what I'm trying to get at? That strengthens you. Listen, if you're humble, what can make you mad? If you consider others more important than yourself, when will you ever have a disagreement? Try to do that with one iota of pride. But if you strengthen the saints with what the Bible says, then they are unified. They are strengthening other saints. And that keeps growing. God builds by multiplication. But but I, I share that with you because you strengthen each other by the work of the word in their heart. You know, um, 
I remember early in my ministry, I always got frustrated because it seems like every we have a, a study that we go through that, that we're afraid of it right now. But uh, we used to go through it's called Fundamentals of the Faith. OK, really a good study. Um, you know, people say fundamentals. Well, it's foundations of the faith. These are things that every Christian should be rock solid on, period. OK, but I found out every time I get a group of people saying, I want to go do that. You know, we would go through one study and poof, they vanished. And I kept thinking, everybody who reads this book is being raptured. Except me. Okay, but then it dawned on me, when you were starting to hold people's feet to this is what the book says, they didn't want no part of that. And so I still got a bunch of these workbooks in the back, but I'm afraid to break them out. Because it's poof, they disappear. And I share that because people say they want it until it steps on their toes. Paul says, you know what? I'm going to come against your speculations. I'm going to come against your lofty ideas. And I'm going to smash your fortresses. If I have to. If I have to. So Paul could do some destruction. Paul um, had a legitimate claim to his authority. He had built the church in Corinth. The fruit of the false were seen in 1 Corinthians. You see what they managed to pull off. It was chaos. It was dangerous. But he had weapons to smash this stuff. These human ideologies. These human speculations. These these humanistic appeals and methods. They are all against the knowledge of God. And if he had to come back, he's promised them that he's coming back. And he says, I come back, I'll destroy this error. I'll destroy this area. You know, I see this a lot because, well, throughout Scripture, actually, one of my favorite heroes of the Bible, it kind of reminds me of the, the ultimate underdog. Anyway, Jeremiah. All right. And Jeremiah gets the call, right? God says, I knit you in your mother's womb for this. Okay. And then he tells Jeremiah, oh, by the way, they're not going to listen to you. And I'm like, well, what's the point? Can't we just take out a newspaper ad? Um, But I want to show you how this works, because this is exactly what the Apostle Paul did. And and Jeremiah, you guys can go look it up. I'll just read it for you. Chapter 1, verse 5, it says this. Behold, I have formed you in the womb. I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Okay, that's God's calling. Now, here's what I want you to do, Jeremiah. Okay, verse 10. Because Jeremiah is sort of like, but Lord, (laughs) alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak. I'm young. And then he goes on, there's a little back and forth between God. And then verse 10 God says, see, I have appointed you this day over the nations and the kingdoms. Now, look what I have appointed you to do. To pluck up and break down. Okay. To use my redneck language. I want you to create havoc. Okay. Because you've got to tear it down. Why? To build and to plant. To build and to plant. Called by God. First, trash it. Okay? I want you to take it down to the foundation. And then I want 
to be rebuilt. Okay? Paul had gone into the kingdom of darkness in Corinth and he had smashed it and then he had built and he had planted. And then when he had left, the false came in and were trying to destroy it. Paul had already done the destruction. He had already wreaked havoc. And he had already built it back up on the basis of what God had done through the apostle Paul, through his authority. I shall not be put ashamed. It's really fascinating if you think about it. I don't have to boast. And if I have to give you more encouragement, I will not be embarrassed by it. According to my authority. No matter what he claimed, no matter what the apostle Paul claimed, I don't care what it was, because God had used him to build the church, that was evidence of his authority. You know, I think about this church right now, how many men we have sent out that are teaching in seminaries right now. They're teaching in seminaries. We plan that. You think about how many daughter churches this little congregation has around the world. Every church that is in Russia, their Sunday school classes are larger than this congregation. And they're fruit of us. Why? Because we have been strengthened in the word. We have stayed faithful to the word and where God was moving his word, it moved and changed lives. Listen, that's evidence of something. The Apostle Paul, you know what is amazing? When I read this and I I think about this and his authority, do you realize, I don't know if there's any Jewish people here, but if you're not Jewish, do you realize you're fruit of the Apostle Paul? You ever think about that? This guy's been in glory how many decades and he's still bearing fruit. That's pretty amazing. Paul had history as his proof. Souls were saved. Saints were sanctified. Churches were built. Churches were strengthened. How do you know the man of God? Easy. What's his relationship to Christ? What is his impact in the church? You know what? I am thankful that God has brought into my life those who desire truth. Because if I had a group of people who did not desire truth, I'd be one of the most frustrated people on the planet Earth. I still wouldn't shut up, but it doesn't mean I wouldn't be frustrated. So I hope that the Lord helps you to desire truth. But I pray most of all that he guards each and every one of us from straying. Okay? And pay attention and be grateful when God shows you true teachers. Because I hate to break the news to you. There ain't that many. Okay? When you find them, be very thankful that you have found them. And that you don't stray and that you desire more truth. Okay? His impact, his impact on the church, his relationship to Christ. A few more coming. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for my brother Paul. And Father, the amazing things that uh, you did through him. Father, I thank you for Jeremiah too. Lord, I thank you for your word. It's power in the souls of men and women. Father, the ability to perfect the soul. Father, its ability 
to smash down fortresses of speculation and lofty things that come against the knowledge of God. Help us, my King. Help us to walk worthy in these strange days. Father, help us to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And Father, you have already done exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could think or imagine. And Father, I rejoice that you're not done. To your glory and praise in Christ's name. Amen.